Ask any baller. If, if you know, you know. The game has changed, but it's still the same. If you want it, go get it. Shazam! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. The shot on Elo. The Bulls win! They win it! Mike. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it. Wow. The ruling on the floor is made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. First overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one, yeah! Welcome to Pass the Outlet, episode 12. I'm your co-host, Michael Benjamin, joined as always by my wingman, Chris Patrick. Chris, it's 110 degrees, man. It's hot here in AZ. How are you feeling today, man? I'm feeling the heat, Mike. My goodness, it is roasty toasty up here in Studio B. But, you know, I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm staying hydrated and uh, I'm excited to get into this. I was also excited when we did the NBA draft live stream a couple days ago. If anyone missed out on that, we went through the first 15 rounds, talked about these guys that were drafted. So go check it out. Yeah, make sure you're checking out everything we're doing, man. We're hitting you guys with weekly live streams. We had the Arizona Diamondbacks bi-weekly recap drop yesterday as well. Make sure you're tapping in with us here on YouTube at Valley Sports Plug and on our other socials, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at AZ underscore VSP. We appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for all the love. But about a week ago, Technically, last Friday was the beginning of the offseason for the NBA, right? We saw a whole bunch of moves, a whole bunch of extensions, and the Phoenix Suns got their hands right into that cookie jar. So, of course, you know we got to go over it. But we're going to start on some generalities just looking at the NBA as a whole with some movements and whatnot. But before we dive into everything, Chris, you got anything for the people? Man, not a whole lot. I am excited to get into some of these signings, the moves that were made. Of course, the elephant in the room will just come out and say it. Bradley Beal is now a Phoenix Sun. We were able to unload him for Chris Paul. I know that's kind of old news at this point, but here on Pass the Outlet, we like to deep dive into these sort of things. And like Mike said, we're going to cover it all. But I would just say, you know, two, three weeks ago, there was a lot of uncertainty around the Suns and the NBA. And now um, there's still a lot of uncertainty. It's just different uncertainty. But uh I'm optimistic, I'm excited, and ready to get right into it. Let's do it, man. So we're going to start right off the top with just some notable movements within the NBA in literally the first 48 hours, man. We know how crazy it gets when it comes down to the basically start of the new league year. But we got to dive into a couple of these, and I want to get your thoughts on, on some of them, Chris. But first and foremost, we're looking at the Dallas Mavericks. They made some moves, right? Uh, they, they signed Seth Curry and got Grant Williams in a uh, trade. Uh, Max Struess, a notable guy from the Miami Heat in their NBA Finals run. There was a sign and trade with him going to the Cavaliers. They also re-signed Karis LeVert and are looking to be more of a powerhouse in the East this upcoming year. This one is for Ian, our resident VSP family member. 
Joe Harris, his guy, unfortunately, is going to Detroit to join Monty Williams and the rebuilding Detroit Pistons, that's for sure. Uh, other notable signings, the Rockets, man, they got in it hot and heavy. They signed Dylan Brooks for four years, 80 mil. Jeff Green from the uh, the champion Denver Nuggets. And Fred Van Vliet, three years, 130 million. A guy who the Suns were talking about possibly making a move for. But we know that didn't happen because of Bradley Beal. But some other ones, quickly, I'll get through it. Bruce Brown, who... Went to Indiana on two years, $45 million contract. The Lakers made some signings with Gabe Vincent, Cam Reddish, and Torian Prince. The Bucks kind of rebolstered as well, bringing back some, some of their guys, Jay Crowder, Brooke Lopez, and his twin brother, Robin, as well as Malik Beasley. And then another guy who the Suns were maybe kicking the tires on ended up signing with the Raptors. That was Dennis Schroeder. And the Jazz got John Collins for a steal. The trade for Rudy Gay and a second rounder. Chris, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? We got to go through some of these extensions as well. But were there any other notable moves, any free agent signings that really caught your eye for some other teams within the NBA last week? Yeah, there were a couple. I mean, uh, one that kind of has some value ties. I think you might have mentioned it, Torrey Craig there to the Bulls. That was one. Uh, Kyrie signed his extension with Dallas for three years, 126 million. Draymond Green is staying put for with the Warriors for four years, 100 million. So some of these moves, um, you know, are just people not moving, staying exactly where they're at. When it was really shrouded in a uh, question whether they would be moving or not, uh, I do think it's interesting. You mentioned there. I totally forgot about Bruce Brown, two years, 45 million. That's a bit of an overpay for me. I know he did kind of ball out there in the playoffs, but I like him more as like a $12, $15 million guy, not so much as a $22 million guy. But hey, if he if he's going to play up and uh, play to that money, I mean, good for him. Uh, Westbrook, two years, $8 million back to the Clippers. That kind of surprised me. Uh, you know, Russ is a, a guy at one point in his career was playing on the max. I'm nearly positive. And now to see he's only taken $4 million a year. I don't know if... He might have been able to get more money somewhere else at this point in his career, but I think he does kind of want a title chance, and it, it, that might have been his best avenue, staying with Kawhi and Paul George, although there were rumors that Paul George could have been on the move, and honestly, anything could happen. It's still early, right? I mean, there's still some guys who haven't signed, but these extensions, man, that we got to get into have been kind of crazy to me, but... I see what Russ is doing there, going back to L.A. He's going to have his opportunities to be a large contributor. You really just have to factor in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. If Paul George does you know, end up staying with the Clippers, you got to factor in some time missed. Same kind of thing with the Suns, and I'm sure we'll get into that as well. But, man, the money is flowing. That's to say the least. So, what, what Chris alluded to, then we have some major pieces that are staying put, right? You know, guys in the Pacific Division, specifically with the Los Angeles Lakers, Austin Reeves gets his first kind of big contract, four years, $56 million. They also re-signed Rui Hachimura for three years and D'Angelo Russell for two years as well. Like Chris said, Draymond back to the Warriors for four years, $100 million. Chris Middleton as well. I was surprised that he didn't opt into that player option, but he did re-sign with the Bucks for three years, $102 million, just to get that cushion. 
he is coming down towards the end of his career, I kind of feel like, and he's starting to get a little bit more injury-plagued as well. But some other big signings, Kyle Kuzma staying with the the Wizards, four years, $102 million. Our pride and joy, Cam Johnson returns to Brooklyn, four years, $108 million. Another surprising one to me, Jeremy Grant stayed with the Blazers. Big contract, man. Five years, $160 million. We'll see if that investment pays out and what's going to happen with the trade request from Damian Lillard now. Hopefully, they'll be able to get some you know, good pieces to start building around some of their young core. But then I got four big ones for you, Chris. And the first one, very surprised, Desmond Bain. Resigns with the Memphis Grizzlies for five years, two hundred and seven million. And then these other three guys, it just makes sense. They're some of the best of the best in this league. Demontis Sabonis stays with the Kings, five years, two hundred seventeen million. Lamelo Ball, five years, two hundred sixty million for the Charlotte Hornets. And Anthony Edwards stays with the Minnesota Timberwolves, five years, two hundred sixty million. The same as Lamelo Ball. Chris, were there? Were there any of these extensions that really jumped off the page for you? Were you surprised? And then I'll throw another question to you. For some of these guys, if you're willing to throw a big bag at, who's your number one guy that you're looking at that you want to make sure you invest in? Ooh, out of those players you mentioned, I mean, got to keep ball. That's a huge one. DeMontis Sabonis was almost pivotal or, or cru- real crucial to that Sacramento Kings run that they went on. Him and De'Aaron Fox absolutely balling out. Desmond Bain is a little bit of an interesting one. I just love seeing all the memes of him and his T-Rex arms. I know it's not really that bad. They kind of exaggerated Photoshop in a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, Cam J, four years, 108. You love seeing our guys get the bag. Uh, the one, though, that I think is a bit of a head scratcher is Kyle Kuzma, back to the Wizards. I don't know if he just didn't have any opportunities to go anywhere else that was on a contending team. And so maybe he liked being in D.C. and wanted to hang out through the rebuild there, but it's going to be a little while until they're good again. And so I don't know, easy paycheck. I don't want to accuse Kyle Kuzma of anything, but that wouldn't have been my first choice if I were him Uh, to answer your question though, Anthony Edwards on the Timberwolves is probably the most crucial one. In my opinion, he's easily one of the best players on that team when healthy. And then you pair him alongside cat. That could be a pretty good one, two punch to look out for. I know that's kind of a budding rivalry with the Suns as Cat likes to run his mouth and rib Booker a little bit. They are buddies, but yeah, for, for my money, it's got to be keeping Edwards. Also, I'd say Ball is right up there, maybe a close second. Yeah, I'd probably lean more towards Ball just because I think he's going to be pivotal in the growth for Brandon Miller, who they just spent a top three draft pick on. <laughs> we already saw some reports from the early summer league games that he has more fouls than points in the <laughs> game, but it's it's super early. We're not really looking into it at all. You know, you have to think about what happened with the Suns last year, losing to, what was it, the Adelaide 67ers or something? 36ers, whatnot. You know, it didn't really contribute to much down down the stretch. So the preseason is a preseason. These teams are still trying to fill out their rosters. But a lot of the high-profile guys have found new homes. And it's nothing new in the NBA game, right? There just is so many moving pieces on a consistent basis year after year, either than your high-profile main superstars. And got to switch course. That directly includes the Phoenix Suns, who have made some very, very big moves over the past three weeks now. 
going back to the first reports on June 22nd when the Suns made that trade for Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, and Isaiah Todd, shipping Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and so many picks to the Washington Wizards. Just an absorbent amount of picks. But if you're going to get somebody like Bradley Beal, it takes that kind of stuff. Well, so go ahead. That's true. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but we do have some breaking news here. Uh, actually, perfect while we're talking about this. Woj is reporting that the Grizzlies are dealing three second-round picks to the Phoenix Suns for two first-round pick swaps and Isaiah Todd. So Isaiah Todd, again, on the move. I was This is what I was going to bring up in show prep. The Suns had 16 guys on their roster, and so I'm like, one of these guys has to go. Who's it going to be? And that answered my question real fast it's going to be isaiah todd going to the grizzlies we get a we get at least one pick back and then two more pick swaps a lot, a lot of people are learning about what those pick swaps are because when the reports first came out everyone thought the suns weren't going to be drafting for the next five or six seasons but that's not necessarily the case they're just going to be drafting low in the first round or not at all so yeah but hey okay I that was definitely a situation that I wanted to talk about as well. Like you said, with the 16 men on the roster right now, it was they were wondering if maybe they were going to waive them and then sign them to like a two way or something like that, see if they could give them an opportunity in the summer league. But I mean, these moves that the Suns have made, Chris, and we're going to get into them right now, it just filled the roster so quickly right after that Bradley Beal trade where we were looking and we we're like, wow, we got six guys under contract, two guys with player options, just a whole lot of things still needed to be fleshed out. And the Suns basically did that within the first 48 hours of free agency. So we got to look at it. And starting on June 30th, I just basically got a list of everything that happened here for the Phoenix Suns. The first one was Keita Bates' job from the San Antonio Spurs. He signed for two years, $5 million. Then we had Drew Eubanks from the Portland Trailblazers. Two years, five million. Chimezi, how do I say it, Chris? Chimezi Matu, one yeah, year, two point five million. Five year vet, first two years with the Spurs, last three in Sacramento. In sixty six games, he averaged four point nine points, three rebounds in about ten minutes. Then we re signed Josh Akogi for a one year deal. You know, he started for the for the Suns basically the second half of the season. In 72 games, averaged 7.3 points, 3.5 rebounds, shot 39% from the field and 34 from three, but then his postseason was a little bit rough. Thanks to the rotation odd situations that were going on with Monty Williams, where he only averaged 4.1 points and shot 14.3% from three. But then we bring back some other guys, and, and you know, Kata Bates Jop is one of those guys who's supposed to really explode from the outside, as well as Yuta Watanabe from the Brooklyn Nets signs for a one year, $2.3 million deal. Another five year vet had stops in Memphis, Toronto, and Brooklyn. And in 58 games, he averaged 5.6 points, 2.4 rebounds, 49. Percent from from the field and forty four point four percent from three in just about sixteen minutes per game. Then the Suns also re-signed Damian Lee to a two year five point four million dollar contract in the seventy four games. He averaged eight point two points, three rebounds, and shot forty four point five percent from three. But same thing in the postseason in his little amount of time, two point one points, twenty percent from three. So trying to rebuild the outside shooting for this team 
And I think one of the biggest pieces that happened, which was really focused on that, was on July 2nd, the Suns signed Eric Gordon 11 years after the first offer sheet that was given to him back in our heyday, a.k.a. the terrible, terrible years for the Phoenix <laughs> Suns. But he signed a two-year deal for $6.5 million. He's a 15-year vet who spent the last six and a half years in Houston and then the last half of a season with the Clippers. So, Chris... Before we get into outlet point guard, which we got three of these new pieces to kind of really dive into, out of these names, who is getting you excited to be here? And who was kind of a surprise for you? Ooh, honestly, that that might be the same person, but I will switch it up a little bit. I will say I am excited to see Eric Gordon, although, as you said, better late than never. He's here and another veteran presence that we could definitely use in the locker room because outside of... Durant, Beal, and I think you could even say Booker is a veteran at this point. It's a lot of young guys, and it kind of surprised me, I guess, in that regard that we kind of went towards a little bit more of a youth movement and bringing these guys in. The one that actually did, I think, surprise me the most was Drew Eubanks. It seemed like everything was set up for us to bring Jock Landell back with that offer sheet out, and then they rescinded it either shortly before or shortly after we signed Drew Eubanks. And I was I was nervous at first because I didn't know I can be honest I think only the only name I had heard prior was Utah Wantanabe or Nobi I'm we'll figure his name out guys bear with me uh, but that's because he had ties to Brooklyn and playing with Kevin Durant and they were like oh it's perfect they're boys it's gonna be a great fit so that one didn't surprise me as much but I'm I'm excited to learn more about Bates Jop uh, Eubanks of course. Metu and uh, see what this rookie Tumani Kamara can do. I don't know how much of him we'll end up seeing. Kind of like we didn't really see much of Darius Baisley. I know he came in about halfway, a little more than halfway through the season, and now he's out on the street. But I was a little excited, though. Not excited. I was a little surprised also to see them bring back Damian Lee. The Akogi one didn't quite surprise me too much, but we'll we'll have to see, man. A lot of new faces, but hopefully the youth – We'll be able to step up and fill in when uh, one of our veterans gets injured or has to be out a few se- a few games with some rest. Hopefully no injuries this season, knock on wood, but death taxes and, uh, you know, son's player injuries. <laughs> well, it used to be death taxes and Chris Paul getting hurt in the playoffs, but right. we don't have to worry about that anymore. But I think one of the beautiful things about all these signings as well, Chris, is, you know, you got the best bang for your buck with what you could do with having four max player guys, right? Some on higher levels like Beal and Durant, but you're still paying DeAndre Ayton $32 million a year. You know, Devin Booker's contract really hasn't fully set in just yet from his Supermax either. But these guys have been in the league for a while. You know, you're looking at five, six-year vets, guys who have been in the NBA game, understand the grind. And they're role players, right? That's what you were going to have to do to fill out this roster. Spread around with shooters. Have some guys who can come in and maybe take over a little bit more like, you know, your Eric Gordons, maybe your Josh Akogis. But you're not going to have to super rely on all these guys with the heavy top load that you're going to get from Beal, Durant, and Booker. So I love what the Suns have been able to do right now. And I I think I'll chime in as well. I think the one that surprised me the most as well, but I'm still excited about is Keita Bates-Jop from the San Antonio Spurs. You know, another five-year vet guy last year in 67 games, 
averaged 9.7 points, 3.7 rebounds, one and a half assists in about 21.7 minutes. He shot 51% from the field and 39.4% from three, which was a career high for him. So they're looking for him to spread the floor as well. And that's what the Suns are really trying to commit to, it seems like. Expand the floor, get those outside shooters so you can give, you know, plenty of space for Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and now Bradley Beal to, you know, attack on the floor and get it out to those shooters. But yeah, I think the other uh, we got to talk about the other pieces that were on the Suns last year that have moved. Like Chris was saying, Jock Landell, he went to Houston, and that's probably why that offer was rescinded because he got a nice little payday, four years for thirty-two million dollars. Unfortunately, I think Tory Craig just didn't he didn't show out enough within the playoffs, and I think they were looking to just give other guys opportunities. So he went to Chicago to play for the Bulls on a two-year, $5.4 million contract. And then there's some other guys who it just appears with what is sitting now, they're, they're not going to be coming back. With Bismack Biombo, Darius Baisley, TJ Warren, and Terrence Ross, all unrestricted free agents. And we also have Saban Lee, who is a restricted free agent with a two-way. But Chris, I guess out of those five guys, do you think you might want to bring one of them back? And would that catch any of your interests at all? I think the only guy I'd be interested in bringing back would be Tony Buckets, TJ Warren. I feel like he didn't get a fair shake under Monty Williams, and he did show the ability in the past couple seasons, whether on the Suns or where well, he was on, on the Pacers still. or And yeah, and then Brooklyn for a little bit, right? And so he showed flashes where he was capable of stepping up and scoring buckets. Um so I wouldn't mind having Tony back. Jock would have been nice, but not for that price. Obviously something that wasn't in our budget. Saban Lee, uh, I love the hometown kid, right? He went to the same high school as us. Not at the same time, of course, but you got you got to love the homegrown talent playing for the local team as well. But I just don't know if he's ready. And as many guards as we have in that backcourt now, I mean, I've even heard, not to bounce around too much, but that kid Jordan Goodwin we got from the Wizards is supposed to be a diamond in the rough too. So if we can develop him and, hey, even if we got Saban Lee as, I don't know, trade bait or a guy who can come in if there's a catastrophic injury, I'll I'll take it. Um, But for my money, I think it would have to be TJ Warren would be the only one. I was disappointed with Bismack um, in the later stretch of the playoffs. I know it's hard going up against the MVP and Nikola Jokic, but his stature really showed to be detrimental at only 6'9", trying to play the center position. He just wasn't able to get it done. And that is another one of my concerns, though, looking at this roster, because a lot of our forwards and centers, or I should say forwards and centers, are guys who are like 6'9", 6'10", or 6'8", a little bit maybe too short to play the center position. But I I think it sounds like we might have a a faster-paced game plan going forward. And your Drew Eubanks is the backup to DeAndre Ayton, and and they call him like the Shaq of Troutmouth or something like that. So... He's supposed to be a guy who's not afraid. Everything we've wanted from DeAndre and a guy who goes up and will slam it on a dude and play aggressive at the rim. So he might play bigger than his height suggests. That better be the goal, man, especially if he's going to be the backup. But, hey, have you heard some of the rumors that the Suns might be interested in recently waived Orlando Magic center Bull Bull? Would that catch your interest at all? Ooh, Bull Bull, man. Um, maybe. Seven foot two? 
maybe some. But he is a stick, dude. Like, like yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so is uh, Wembenyama. But he's like. I mean, it just would depend on you know how much weight you can really put up against guys like Nikola Jokic or some of those other big, big centers within the league, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, I know those specific two guys will stretch it out, but, you know, are you going to be able to really body up with some of these guys? And I don't know if Bull Bull is really set to do that. So I'll probably not. But, I mean, I like that you brought up Drew Eubanks because we got to get into a couple of these guys for the outlet point guard. And we got three specific guys to take a look at. So, And, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into your feelings about what these guys might be able to contribute for the Phoenix Suns. We got Drew Eubanks, we got Yuta Watanabe, and we got, of course, Eric Gordon. So let's take a look. I got three for each. And first and foremost, we're just – Taking a look here at Drew Eubanks. Yeah, a little bit of Jock Landell in there, right? One thing that I do love about his game is his willingness to attack blocks, right? Off, off ball, seeing mismatches. Like you can see specifically within this one, he edges a little bit, knows that there's a guy in the corner, but understands the mismatch and attacks to help out his teammate. Then we got Yuta Watanabe. I think one of his underrated skills is really attacking the basket. And got to love the lefties, right? I I just would love to have a lefty on my team every single time. This seems to be a smart player, and, and teams are going to have to really watch out for his ability to shoot from the outside. And as you can see right here, has a repertoire with Kevin Durant already. Probably the reason we were able to get him in here. But then the final guy, Eric Gordon. We know he can splash it. He's not shy. He lets it go. And he's still crafty for a 15-year vet. He can get inside of finish with, yeah, with you know, some true ease sometimes, it seems like. But I think this is going to be one of my favorite things from Eric Gordon is just his ability to let it fly at any time, right? And not be scared and really trust his game. So, Chris, let's roll it back here. We're going to start with Drew Eubanks. So, just let the people know kind of what you're seeing from him and what you might be excited about for him to bring to this Phoenix Suns roster. Yeah, absolutely. Right off the bat, you can tell his length, his ability to handle the ball for a big man. Look, sets himself straight up into an easy back down, knows he can get it there. The the left, the right, perfectly sets himself up, gets in deep. And also, I think, showing good court vision there. His head's up, so he's looking like looking at all of his options. I think he sees, I think that's, that's not Dame in the corner. Whoever's up top, Simons or whoever there, he's looking at him, but doesn't need it because he realizes how deep he is. And in one flawless motion, goes switches it straight to the right hand off the glass. Super fundamental. I really like that move there. Yeah, really gets his body position great there. Getting Zach Collins a little bit too far under the basket and just enough space for him to hit that right-handed hook. I mean, those are going to be key pieces that you need from your big man. But like we know, this team is so top-heavy, and I know Drew Eubanks is going to be a guy off the bench, so he's going to have to contribute sometime on the offensive end. I'm really excited about what he can do on the defensive end. And the one difference that I did kind of see a little bit is he seems to play a little bit more above the rim than Jock Landell did. And Jock Landell, you know, can get up, block some shots. He can get up for some lobs. But this guy just seems to have a little bit more spring in his step. And my 
favorite favorite thing is just attacking the block, man. That's just that's what we want from DeAndre Ayton. I get it, but you know, a big a big difference is just the will and the sure hustle to attack on the defensive end, right? Absolutely. And I was thinking that when we were talking about the roster and looking at all these great offensive plays, I'm glad you threw this one in here as well, because we are going to need some defensive help. And Drew Eubanks, it's like defensive help is literally what's happening in this play. He's coming across the paint, reading the offense and getting that block. I mean, I hate to be the pessimist here. Could be a little risky if that guy driving is a little craftier and shovels it into the big guy that Eubanks completely abandoned. But that's a lot to take in all at once. So he clearly read the play right and got the nice block. I don't know if they called it a foul or or what happened here, but that is a nice clean block. Uh, oh, he blocked it out of bounds, so they're just saying it's his ball. Yeah, so perfect. I love to see the defense and hope that he can – and also that ball control. The pass is a little high, but he scoops it down, scoops it back in. Oh, that's all right. On to the next play. I'm sorry. I'm bouncing around here. Yeah, I mean, he just dominates Lori Markkinen right there. These are – I can attest to the riskiness here too, right? It depends on who you have in that corner and who that big man is like, this is probably a pass that Nikola Jokic can find to Vanderbilt in the corner there. Right. So mm-hmm. you just, you got to know who you're going up against, but we know Laurie Markinen, he likes to score and he wants to score and the Utah jazz need him to score to be successful. So he's going to attack any kind of mismatches right there. Like he has on Anthony Simons, but to understand shuffles feet just a little bit, see that he's really attacking for the shot instead of, posting back to pull out for a pass, maybe a kick to the corner. He shuffles just a little bit, sees that that dribble go down and the shoulder dip. So then he attacks for the block. And oh, there's nothing that gets me more juiced up if I'm on the team than a big time block like that and really can change momentum for some guys. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think maybe he even like had the wherewithal to see that Simon, like marketing got in deep on Simons with that first bump. So he's like, okay, he's he one more of those and he's at the rim. So I got to come help clean this up a little bit. And like you were saying, seeing marketing with his head down, going to attack the basket, not one of the big guys that's always necessarily looking to kick it out like Jokic was. So I'd, I'd hope, and I'd assume that Eubanks is a smart enough player to scout his uh, opponents a little bit and understand, you know, in those types of situations, if you are up against a Jokic or an Embiid, that maybe you got to look for the kick out. 100%. Oh, like we said, another five-year vet, man. All these guys just have time within this league now. He spent his first three and a half seasons with the Spurs, last year and a half with Portland. In 78 games, he averaged 6.6 points, 5 points, and 1.3 blocks in 20 minutes. And then towards the second half of the season, kind of a similar situation to Josh Okoge. But Josh Okoge was a fill-in because we needed him. Uh, he started to get some starts, 28 starts, because Portland was basically tanking at that point. But after he was traded uh, to Portland in 2022, he averaged 15 points and nine rebounds. So he, he's going to have plenty of opportunities with this Phoenix Suns team as a backup to average 22, 25 minutes a game to play with some of these superstars within this lineup and to build a repertoire and be a contributor on both ends of the floor. So I think it was a good signing and I'm excited to see what he can do, but let's move forward. We got the sharpshooter Yuta Watanabe from the Brooklyn Nets. 
You know, that was his one and only stop in Brooklyn last year. He did spend two seasons with Memphis and Toronto. But this is really kind of like a prove it year deal, right? Only a one-year deal, $2.3 million. See if he's going to be able to really capitalize on playing with some of the best guys in the league and expand his game, shoot at a high clip from outside, and really just have a good opportunity to earn a contract next year. I think this is really going to be a situation where this is a one and done for you to Watanabe, right? How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I think 100% you you said it. He has, he's got to prove it. I don't think he would be here if it wasn't for Kevin Durant. And that, I could say it with almost 100% positivity. And I know that in, I don't know if it's on podcast or what, but Durant's talked about how he wants to have some control in the roster building and have a say in it where, and I think Ishbia and James Jones, especially both of them being former players, more Jones than Ishbia, but they understand that the players need to have a say, especially your veteran superstars. So I guarantee you, Durant and Booker are probably marching in lockstep. Durant put his sign of approval or a stamp of approval on Watanobi. And I I don't hate it. From what I'm seeing here, it looks like he's a smart basketball player. He's a quick decision maker. Some of his movements look a little bit uh, hasty, I guess might be the word, or like a little jerky. But he in these clips, at least, he's making the right decisions. He's reading the, the defense, like puts it on the ground right away, knows he wants to drive, wants to drive the baseline there. And just overall, I think we're going to need that. We're going to need smart basketball players who take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to them, especially when you consider the main brunt of the scoring is going to come from the big three or big four, if you want to lump Aiton into that, but Beal, Durant, Booker, and Aiton. Those are guys are going to probably be looking to score 80 to 90% of our points night in and night out. Oh, 100%. But the beautiful thing about having guys like that is it's just going to open up the floor. Like like you could see here with, with Ben Simmons driving, Kevon Looney has to kind of step up because they play him out of position and it's just a weird matchup. But he sees that Jonathan Kaminga heads towards the pass a little bit too much, so he doesn't hesitate to put it on the floor, which I love. I mean, and this is kind of a similar thing as well here, right? He gets the swing pass fakes it to the corner and attacks and goes to his dominant left hand, which is great. I I haven't watched enough tape from him to know how great of a finisher he is with the right as well. Sometimes that gets worrisome when guys just really stick to their one dominant hand. But I love his ability to put it on the floor and attack. I mean, he's he's a bigger guy too, so he'll be able to take contact. But then, man, like this is, this is our bread and butter, right? That, we're supposed to be getting from him. It's his outside shooting. He shot 44.4% from three last season, you know, just under 50% from the floor as well. So he's got nice rotation and he's a lefty. I, I, I gotta say it again, man. I always love having at least one lefty on the team because sometimes it just gets guys a, a little off kilter, you know? Yeah, and honestly gets even uh, just a couple inches of space there. If he was a right-handed shooter, the defense would be closing out on his right side versus now you're shooting from the left side. They have to go across your body to try and contest the shot. And that those those milliseconds, those inches can really make or break uh, whether a shot goes in or not. Very excited for this signing as well. Going to have plenty of opportunities to let it fly. Just like this last guy, Eric Gordon. Man, Chris, I mean, 
when this one came down on July 2nd, which was, I believe, what, Saturday or Sunday, I, I couldn't believe Sunday, it. Yeah. I mean, he's a little bit older. I understand he's 15-year vet, but the way that this guy shot the ball against the Suns in the playoffs gives me a lot of hope. I mean, because that's what we're going to need from him. We're going to need him to score and contribute in the playoffs, right? Oh, absolutely. And it, he'll be in the perfect opportunity to do things just like that. We've talked about it time in and time out. And it was something we saw be kind of detrimental with Akogi um, in that these guys like Booker, Durant, Beal, when they get hot, they have the potential to get double teamed. And that'll leave someone open to shoot the rock. And if Eric Gordon is that guy open, just catch and shoot, let it fly, and he can knock them down, we're absolutely going to benefit from that 100%. Because we just can't have, like I mentioned, Josh Akogi going one for eight in a playoff game from the three-point line or in even in a regular season game. It's just unexcusable, and I don't expect to see that from a veteran guard like Eric Gordon. I know players are going to have their off nights, but I think that his will come fewer and farther in between. I echo that sentiment. And my favorite thing about Eric Gordon is just he's not scared, right? He's has vested time within this league. He understands that even a little bit undersized, he can still attack. But, dude, he'll pull those 30-footers just with unconscious effort. And I've seen him make plenty of them within the past couple of seasons because, you know, as as father time is undefeated, you have to adjust your game with it. And some of these smaller guys, they can't attack like they used to. They can't elevate the same way. So you have to really work on other parts of your craft and – outside shooting has become something that Eric Gordon has just been a stud with, man. I mean, last year he started 47 games in Houston, averaged 13.1 points per game, 21 or 2.1 rebounds, 2.9 assists in about 30 minutes, which were all starts. Then he went to the Clippers and in 22 games only started 11 times. So everything went down just a little bit. 11 points, 1.7 rebounds, 2.1 assists in 25 minutes. But his three-point percentage went up from 34.7% to 42.3% just with the move to Los Angeles. And I wonder why that is. It's because you got other guys around you like Paul George, like Kawhi Leonard, to space the floor and give you more open opportunities, which I can only imagine is going to happen with Eric Gordon. Yeah, I I'd 100% agree. I'm very excited to have him on this roster. Like I said, better late than never, but I think he's going to fit right in perfectly with this group of guys. And you always want players that want to be here. And Eric Gordon is a guy who wanted to be in Phoenix, and we got him. Oh, it, it went so fast, Chris. It went from, oh, my God, who the hell is going to be on this team to, oh, my God, we got to get rid of some people. So... <laughs> All right, I think it's time to move on. We got to get into Reddit Reacts with some news around the league or just basketball in general. So what do you got for us today, Chris? Yeah, I went digging uh, in Reddit. Everyone knows we love Reddit and the Suns Reddit loves us. So I found some good ones from them, as always. I also found, uh, I always try and find some other team subreddits out there. So I, I think I got one here from the Washington Wizards, maybe two. And then just a generic NBA memes one. But I want to start off with a couple that are close to home. And uh, I think we can all take a sigh of relief and be grateful that we no longer have to live under the curse of this man. 
It says, thank God, not our problem anymore. And then it's a tweet from uh, Kevin. I, I assume that's, I don't, blue check marks don't mean much anymore. But anyway, it says, Warriors, this is your problem now. And it's a picture of Scott Foster for anyone who might list, be listening on just the audio. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, Chris Paul is, is not beating Scott Foster, I don't think, in the playoffs. And uh, yeah, not going to be our problem anymore. Now, does Scott Foster now have some of that same uh disdain for Devin Booker or whatever the right uh word is there or was that going to carry over and follow the Suns or is it truly a Chris Paul thing uh time will tell I'm pretty sure it's just a Chris Paul thing because that time frame went back to his time with the Houston Rockets man it was like years where he couldn't beat this guy but I think we finally did get a playoff win against the Clippers when he was um when he was refing, I don't know if it was the closeout game five or if it was just one of these the other games, but he kind of got that monkey off of his back. But Chris Paul, man, it's going to be very interesting to see what truly happens with the Golden State Warriors because it looks like they're really moving in the direction to keep him and put Steph Curry alongside with him and Clay Thompson and the re-signed Draymond Green it's going to be interesting. I mean, that's a lot of vets. That's a lot of older guys too. So we'll see if they can stay healthy, but thank goodness, Scott Foster, no longer a problem. Exactly. And I think, I don't know, obviously Chris Paul didn't sign with the Warriors, but it sucks. He uh, kind of comes on the, the sputtering end of their dynasty where I'm with you. I think a little too old, um, a little too guard heavy. And I, I don't know what their chances are going to look like. Uh, but they hey, they've surprised me before. They went from the worst team to the first team a couple seasons ago. So anything's possible when you got Steph Curry. This one I'm just Michael Benjaminism, uh, chomping at the bit to show you because this one kind of blew my mind and I had to fact check it a little bit because I didn't believe it when I first saw it. Mike, did you know that this crazy fact that Trevor Ariza was traded for Kelly Oubre, Kelly Oubre was traded for Chris Paul, and Chris Paul was traded for Bradley Beal. All of them wore the jersey number three for the Phoenix Suns, and Beal wore uh, is he wore number three for the Wizards, and he's also going to wear number three for the Suns now. So, I, I looked it up; it was true. Ariza wore three for the Suns, Ubre wore three for the Suns, Paul, and now Beal, and they're all connected. Is that is the is the simulation broken, or is it just uh, <laughs> destiny? The simulation is just rolling along as it should be, and what all of these trades basically took place with the Washington Wizards because that's where we got Kelly Oubre from right oh you're right yeah we traded Ariza to the Wizards well uh, we got Kelly Oubre from the Wizards though right that's right that's right so I don't I can't remember if Trevor Ariza ended up being kind of a package where he was sent somewhere else but I love that man (laughs) I also love how Bradley Beal's like let's be honest here folks Chris Paul has been a very polarizing figure within the Valley over the past three seasons and has helped transform this Phoenix Suns team back to some semblance of dominance within the NBA and to ship him out and immediately take his number. Like that's kind of savage cold blooded, but I understand. I mean, Brad Beal has been three his entire career as well and has played in the league for a decade plus. So he's going to, if that number's there, he's going to take it. So if you have a Chris Paul jersey, all you have to do is put three letters over the over the first three for the Paul jersey. Just change it to a B-E-A, and you should be all set. Yeah, easy fix. 
I was kind of uh, in the camp of him wanting to take the number eight, a little Star Wars reference, so he could be BB-8. But uh, he's, I guess he's not as big a nerd as I am, so I can't blame him for that. Well, a question for you. Do they do nickname jerseys in the NBA like they do for baseball? Because that, be, that would be clever. That would be the that, time to bust it out, right? That would be slick. That would be. I, th- I feel like they have in the past, but I haven't seen it done in a while. Or I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just thinking about baseball. Yeah, I love the baseball ones, man. Oh, absolutely. So speaking of the Wizards, I I did steal this one from their subreddit because this is exactly how I'm kind of feeling about the Suns right now. Uh, It's a picture of Patrick on a clip from SpongeBob. And the caption is, looking at the roster versus when one week ago, who are you people? Um, Yeah, like Mike said, we only had, I think, six guys signed and we got nine new players now isaiah todd's on the move i don't know if he even got to step into the facility before he got shipped out uh but yeah a lot of new faces a lot of new names to learn um but all good things and it was just really in the shortest amount of time possible man it really was crazy to see what the suns did especially with on that first day i mean what they made six signings on that first day they brought back Damian Lee and Josh Kogi and then signed four new players but this is what was going to have to happen with this team with the way that the payroll is structured for the Phoenix Suns right now they were going to have to bring in some prove it guys they were going to have to bring in bet minimum guys to give them an opportunity to excel around these core pieces I mean and that's just what you get I mean we're would I have loved to get Gabe Vincent? Yeah, but he got 10 million plus a year. Like it's just, it's, it's a pipe dream when you have that heavy of a top payroll, you know, there's just so little that you can do, but I think I am very impressed with what the Suns were able to do in bringing back guys like Josh Akogi and bringing in guys like Yuta Watanabe and Keita Bates job giving them an opportunity to produce this year. So, man, I wish the season started tomorrow, Chris. I don't know how you feel about that. Man, I'm right there with you. It's like now that the dust has kind of settled, now we have to wait through all of July, August, and September before we finally get games starting at the end of October, I think. Or I don't even know. Maybe it's not till the first week in November these days. Seems like those dates keep shifting, especially since uh, 2020 kind of screwed everything up. But I'm right there with you. I'm very excited. I'm chomping at the bit get this season started and see what these guys can do. Cause uh, we won't know. I think a lot of people can sit here and give the Suns a D great trade grade for the Beal move. They can say our off season sucked and other people on the other side, especially locally can say we knocked it out of the park, had the best free agency of any team in the league, but we truly won't know until the season starts. We start playing games and see how we stack up to the competition. But I will remain optimistic. I, I know I've, it sucks cause we, I know we've all been pretty optimistic the last two, three seasons ever since our finals appearance and then a couple unceremonious exits. But, hey, we're happy to be here. We're a playoff team again. We're a team that's constantly in that conversation for being a title contender. And at the end of the day, that's all you really want. Of course, not all you really want, you want a championship, but all you really want to do is have a chance to get that championship. And I think this is our best shot in probably almost 20 years since that uh, Nash Stoudemire team of, of old. But... Got a few more here for you, Mike, uh, to keep the conversation going. This one I thought would be fun just to break up the monotony of all these moves and names we're throwing out there. Uh, We can kind of ignore the caption. No offense to uh, this user here. 
uh, you slash Jay Voidall. Uh, he put together this collage of all the Phoenix Suns jerseys. And um, I someone in the comments pointed out that it's actually not all the Suns jerseys. If you notice, those ugly sleeved orange ones are missing. And the sleeved gray ones are also missing. But out of these jerseys presented, uh, which one maybe are your is your favorite? Or what would be your top three out of all these as we go through the years? Oh, man. I mean, the Sunburst always you know, has a close piece of my heart, specifically the black sunburst. Um, To be honest with you, Chris, when I was a ball boy, I did not like those uh, Steve Nash era jerseys, the PHX, the purple Phoenix, purple Phoenix. (laughs) Um, I just was not a fan, man. I did like the introduction of an orange Jersey, but I thought they were just a little bit plain. Um, So, I, I mean, probably, I mean, now recently the Valley jerseys, that's got to be in my top three as well. Um, and probably not the statement jersey from this season, but the statement for jersey from the previous one, which, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. But, I mean, I guess all black jerseys, that's just <laughs> my favorite. Yeah, that, that was a common sentiment uh, in the comments that I was reading through is that people say all the black ones look good. And uh, they're, they're pretty much right. Um, that, that Brandon Knight era one in the, the left side of the second row. Um, and I think early Booker era, I, I just, I'm a sucker for orange. It's my favorite color. So I have to disagree a little bit. I did like the PHH one, um, but I'm with you overall between those three, the white one that says suns, the purple one that says Phoenix, and then just the PHX. It is a little plain, a little boring, but love, just loved the orange so much that I looked past it for at least that that variation of the jersey but i would say yeah my all-time favorites uh probably the top right there with the black sunburst um, but you gotta love the valley jerseys man those those came and went too fast for my liking way too fast i wish they i wish the nba would just allow for like certain sets to stay within like throwback jerseys every season right and then you have like know the old vancouver grizzlies jerseys or the old yes. washington bulls jerseys like every team had one or two that they could keep within you know solidified rotation every year and you could swap out in and out if you wanted to whatnot but to not be able to play with its sunbursts every season i think is just a disservice even if it were to be like three or four games like that's just the 90s jerseys are just so classic for the NBA. It was truly the growth of the sport, the biggest growth of the sport, I would say, as well. But, yeah, like, I don't hate, um, you know, I see number 15. So I think campaign, that orange Suns one as well on the last uh, the last row, I, I, I like that one too. But, yeah, those, those early Devin Booker, Eric Bledsoe's jerseys, man, the worst. The Wait, so- worst. You, you're saying that one in the bottom row in the middle, the orange yeah, one. that orange you, one with the actual Phoenix sign on it. I like and that's, that. That's not too plain to you compared to the second row left side? Yeah, I didn't like the gray. I wasn't a big fan okay. of the gray. All right, that's fair. And just PHX, like, eh. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're right, because that one at least has the, the Suns logo on it. Um, sometimes that simplistic look can work out. I, I don't – okay, you're right. You got me. I don't hate it. And I love orange, so you're always going to get me there. I hit you with the orange. There you go. You know my soft spot. But yeah, let me see. I got a few more here for us to take a look at. Have a good time on. Oh, speaking of jerseys, this one will tie in perfect. So Grady Dick was drafted by the Toronto Raptors. And uh, 
these are probably going to be the highest selling jersey. His jersey is probably going to be the highest selling jersey in the entire NBA this season. It's it's going to be completely over. Um, on this podcast, I won't read some of the comments and and uh, memes that I've seen regarding this jersey. But Mike, are you going to get a Dick jersey? Chris, I don't think I'm going to get a Dick jersey at all. Um, I'm just at the point, man, where like, like, okay, I'll dox myself. I'm turning 33 <laughs> this month, right? Like, I'm not going to get a 19-year-old kid's jersey and wear it around. Like, it's just, it's just kind of odd to me, right? Like, yeah. I'm even on the fence about wearing a Devin Booker jersey. Like, I'm at the age where it's like, if I'm not wearing a throwback, like, I got Michael Jordan, you know, Chicago 1984 jersey. I got my original LeBron James jersey when he came into the league from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I got an Amari Stoudemire or I got that Amari Stoudemire orange jersey. You know, like those are old guys when I was young, when I had those kind of jerseys. Like if I'm getting a jersey nowadays, it's going to be just a league legend. Because we also know, I mean, we can attest with Tallman, dude. He buys a new Arizona <laughs> Cardinals jersey every season, and then next year they're gone. And he's like, oh, there goes the money down the drain again. It's like, well, I don't know. Get a personalized one, my guy. But, like, yeah. the next jersey that I probably get will get will be the old purple Connie Hawkins jersey. Like, that's kind of where I'm at now. But – Hey, I don't blame you. If you want to get a one dick jersey, go for it, man. <laughs> I will have to see. Um, it, I know they got that. Uh, Toronto's got that collaboration with Drake and OVO. So if there's a hot looking black and gold dick, one dick jersey, could be tempting. Could be tempting. <laughs> I mean, I think basketball is a little safer because these guys – Although we are in an era where players move a lot more with the new CBA, it might not necessarily be the case where we see as many moves. Uh, I mean, Booker's obviously a safe bet. If you're a Warriors fan or bandwagon Warriors fan, you can get a Steph Curry jersey. Um, LeBron has become kind of tough, but if you rock an old old school LeBron Cavs or Heat jersey, people will still still respect it, I think. Uh, that kind of defeats my argument. But I mean, even shit, John Morant on the Grizzlies, he's a guy that's going to be there for a long time. So there's... My point is that it's safer with basketball than football, where football players seem to always be on the move and never staying with their team. So I don't know. Uh, I guarantee you we're going to see a lot of dick jerseys, though, <laughs> for sure. I'll have to circle that Toronto Raptors game uh, this year and just like go and do some research and see how many dick jerseys I can see around. And I'll, I'll report back to the VSP family and let you know the findings. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely do it. Uh, some some market research. See uh, see how many dick jerseys you can spot. <laughs> but Mike, I got one more for you. Uh, this one kind of again hits close to home, and I think is relevant to the conversation. A little bit, a few months late, perhaps. But um, this was on an NBA meme subreddit. It says, "Oh boy, the comments on this one." It's a. I think this is an Avengers clip. It says, "Was a Scarlet Witch talking to Doctor Strange?" And she says in the top box, Booker and Tatum disappear in the finals. They're chokers. Then Dr. Strange says, Jimmy Butler does it, and he's Hemi Buckets, MJ's son. She says, it doesn't seem fair. I don't know. I, I feel like I was hearing not like aggressively choking, but there's been just – there's been a, a culture change, I feel like, within the NBA fandom when it comes to Jimmy Butler. I mean, he was a – very polarizing figure uh, 
within his time at Minnesota, even with Philadelphia. And ever since he's moved to Miami, I think people have seen kind of like a change in not just his personality, but like his work ethic and his real just testament to working hard to be the best that he can be. And it's translated within this game over the past couple of seasons in Miami. And I know what there was some rumors where he hurt his ankle and he was out and he wasn't playing to his same ability. I mean, we could probably ask Ray and he would let us know he's super tapped in with Miami and knows all that kind of stuff. But Chris, Jimmy Butler didn't show up for Miami in the finals. And I'm not going to say that he's a choker, but that's one of the reasons that they weren't able to get it done. I mean, the biggest reasons that they weren't be able to get it done is because of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, all those guys were just Everyone playing at a different level together. So, but he didn't he didn't play up to his capability of what we had seen basically within the past two seasons of his playoff runs. You could even go back to the bubble as well. I mean, he's on he's been on a real good stretch over the past couple of years, but. I'm not going to say Devin Booker or Jason Tatum are chokers. I mean, it's literally, you know how hard it is to make the finals, man? Like, yeah. And both of those guys are going to, I feel like both of those guys are going to have opportunities within the next couple of seasons. So maybe we can start talking then. We can't talk after one appearance. I mean, let's get real, folks. Yeah, it's definitely for each of the, for Tatum and Booker, they've only had one try at it. And you mentioned that there, it's a long road to the, to the finals and you got to make it through 82 games in the regular season. Then God knows how many, if you go to a seven game series, multiple seven game series, like that shit, excuse me, that stuff will, will add up quick and, uh, and can, and really uh, start to affect you. And I know Butler, I think was playing on some type of rolled ankle or something. Booker's had his playoff injuries Tatum, I think even in this playoff run, we saw him roll his ankle real bad and fight through it. So these guys are warriors for sure. They are fighting through it. But I, I do agree. Uh, Jimmy Butler has kind of switched the narrative on himself. He is a hardworking guy. Uh, we, we did even hear about that, uh, his time with the Timberwolves, when he that famous practice story where he uh, played the starters with the bench and beat them ran him out the gym or something like that. And then like 15 minutes later, he was on ESPN telling that story or something. It's crazy. You guys have to go look it up if you never heard it. But uh, no, I just thought this one was a bit provocative. I don't think any of these guys are necessarily chokers. I don't know if that's a fair way to to put it or assess it. It's just, uh, that's like you said, the shifting of the NBA fan base and their, how easy it is to go online and be hypercritical of their performance on a, on a game-to-game basis. And the biggest thing at the end of the day is these guys can't do it alone, man. They just cannot do it alone. It takes a unit, and that's what the Denver Nuggets did this past season. Chris, a lot of news, man, a lot of news over the past two weeks. The Phoenix Suns roster is finally starting to take form. Summer League is right around the, the corner in Las Vegas as well. Would love to go make it out. If you're in the Las Vegas area, try and catch some of those games, see some of the new NBA talent coming in. But I think everything's going to start to calm down on the basketball front just for a little bit, and then I'm sure it'll start ramping up again. But before we head out for the night, Chris, you got anything else for the people? 
I do. I just have one more thing. While you're in Vegas checking out Summer League games, also at the end of this month, go check out Slam Ball. That's coming back. It's going to be on ESPN. We got our boy Ray who made the team. He'll be playing in those games, I assume. Last I heard, that's the word on the street. I saw some clips of him on his Instagram where he was jumping and dunking and doing his thing. So if any of you remember Slam Ball from, I think, the early 2000s, basically trampoline basketball. So it's a little bit of basketball. I think they say a little bit of football, but it's more basketball. There's just some uh, hard hits and uh, crazy dunks. So good time all around. That was great, Chris. Heck yeah, man. Shout out to Ray. I think his injury should be healed up like within the next couple of days, so he'll be ready for the start of that season on July 21st. So hell yeah, man. Make sure you check that out on ESPN. But everybody, we appreciate your time. Make sure you check out our socials at AZ underscore VSP, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find us on Facebook at Valley Sports Plug, as well as right here on YouTube. We appreciate y'all more than you know. So if you're in the Phoenix area, man, try and stay cool, people. It's going to be hot this summer, but this is past the ep- this is past the outlet episode 12. I'm your co-host Michael Benjamin. That's Chris Patrick. We appreciate y'all. Have a good one.